your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 20 uh, this morning, verses 19 through 20. I want to talk to you from the subject after the resurrection. So last Sunday, obviously, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And we, uh, of course, we focus our attention on that incredible event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But um, there's some significant things that happen after. Everybody say after after the resurrection that we don't often highlight. So I want to do that this morning. John chapter 20, verse 19 says, Then in the same day, the same day being the resurrection day of Jesus Christ, that same day, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. How many know that that last sentence there is probably the most understated (laughs) scripture in all of the Bible? I'm sure they were glad when they saw the Lord. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is so critical to the Christian faith that um, all four gospel writers included an account of his resurrection in their gospels. The literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historical fact. Jesus was a real person. He lived a real life. He died a real death and resurrected from the grave in physical bodily, glorified form. It's critical to our faith because it means, first, that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God. That that God accepted his death as an offering for the sin of mankind. And third, that he conquered death not only for himself, but for everyone who will put their faith in in him. Hallelujah. And in this story, we find the the disciples, the apostles, gathered on the same day of the resurrection, later in the evening, hiding behind locked doors, huddled together for fear of the Jews. Now, at this point, the disciples did not believe that Jesus actually resurrected. In Luke 24, it says that when the women reported to them that Jesus rose from the dead, in verse 11, it says, quote, their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Their faith had failed at this moment. They lost their faith. They lost their hope. And here they are, huddled together, hiding in a room, discouraged, disappointed, fearing for their lives. And as we examine this, I believe that there are three or four truths that we can unpack today. The first truth is this. You are going to need an enduring faith. A faith that endures. Not the kind of faith that can only praise God when the bills are paid, when the body's healed, when the prayers are answered. That's not faith. Faith is is not getting God to give you what you want. Faith is remaining steadfast and devoted to him even when you don't get what you want. That is enduring faith. That's the kind of faith that we need. 
In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples said to Jesus, tell about the end, tell us about the end of the age. What are going to be the signs of, of your coming? And Jesus described wars and famines and pestilence and tribulation and persecution and lawlessness and hatred. And then he says in verse 13, he says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Then in Mark 13, Jesus said, you will be, he said to his disciples, to, his, to Christ's followers, he said, you will be arrested and beaten. Brother will betray brother to death. The father will betray his child. Children will rise up against their parents. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And then in verse 13, he says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus made it very clear that if you're going to follow him, you need a faith that endures. But the disciples, their faith in this moment failed. And why did it fail? It's very simple. Their faith failed because they believed in a false pretense. They had an incorrect perception of who Jesus was and what he actually came to do. We see this on Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, the week before Jesus rose from the dead, when the crowds gathered as he entered Jerusalem with their palm branches shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. It was all on a false pretense. They thought Jesus came to be their deliverer from the Roman oppressors. So when Jesus was crucified by the Roman oppressors, the disciples were devastated. Because of this false pretense they had concerning Christ, their faith fell apart. They had certain expectations, certain preconceived notions of who Jesus should be to them, what Jesus should do for them, and when he did not perform according to their expectations, what happened to their faith fell apart. This is the outcome when we expect things from God that he never promised to give. Run from preachers, churches, who promise things that Jesus never promised. Everybody say run. run. Let me say it again. Run from preachers and run, run from churches who promise things that Jesus never promised. Now, I believe that God does heal. I believe that God does provide. I believe that God does answer prayer. But what happens when your prayers are not answered the way that you want them to be answered? When the healing doesn't come that you've been expecting God for? When the issues with your kids are not resolved, does our faith fall apart? What happens when we wave our palm branches of expectation, but he doesn't deliver us from the oppression that we think that he should deliver us from? If you only see Jesus as a healer, as a provider, someone to solve your problems, then when those problems are not solved, your faith will fall apart. And you will find yourself huddled somewhere, cut off, isolated from everyone else, fearing the circumstances around you, like God let you down. 
And I love how Jesus shows up and reveals himself. He shows them his hands, his side, and basically says, Behold, I am he who was dead and I am alive. Hallelujah, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys to death and to hell. Jesus is saying, Don't follow me if all you want me to be is a healer or a provider or a heavenly genie who gives you all of your requests. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, the Son of God, the Almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords who conquered death. Follow me because I am your king and your God who is worthy to be followed. It has nothing to do with what we can get from his hands. It has everything to do with who he, how worthy he is. Amen? And then in verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. First truth is you need an enduring faith. Second truth, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean? Understand this. Jesus, who had been with them for three years, is now about to leave them. Soon he would ascend to the Father. But we know also that Jesus made a promise to the disciples in John 14. Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans or alone. I will come to you. In verse 26, he says, I'll give you a helper, a paracletus, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, who will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Jesus was about to leave them. I mean, understand that. He was about to leave them and This, his breathing on them in that moment, is the fulfillment of that promise to never leave them by giving them the Holy Spirit who would be with them in Jesus' physical absence. That's what Jesus meant by, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Hallelujah. It's what we call regeneration. Regeneration is the impartation of new spiritual life. It's the same with us. When we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, the breath of God into our lives. The Holy Spirit takes up residence with us. You know, we we have that saying, have you accepted Jesus into your life? What does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus steps out of heaven and steps into our being? No, he doesn't. No. What he does do is he gives us the Holy Spirit. It's an act of regeneration where the presence of God literally takes up abide in our being, in our lives. And through the presence of the Holy Spirit, now in our lives, we have connection to God and can have relationship with him. He can talk to us. We can hear his leading. He can guide us and teach us and comfort us. And give us victory, amen? The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead who dwells in you will quicken your mortal bodies. How many here have a mortal body? Anybody, right? Well, he will quicken. He'll bring life. He'll regenerate your mortal body and make you alive unto God. That's what was happening here up until that moment. The the disciples didn't have the spirit. And they were about to lose Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going away, but the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. So he breathed on them. Amen. This was important. Jesus was preparing them to get used to living without his physical presence. He was preparing them, getting them used to living without his physical presence and to start to rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You understand the shift there, right? We believe one God, three distinct beings, not three gods, amen? One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
right? And so Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here in my physical body with you, so you need to start to, to learn how to rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit who will, who will be with you. Now, there are some today who say and preach and teach that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us and doesn't lead us and doesn't move in our lives. And if you ever hear a preacher tell you that, run. Everybody say run. Okay? They may be sincere. They may be well-meaning. But I, 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 listen, I thank God that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and moving in our lives. Amen? that he still speaks today. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will convict you. He will comfort you. Amen? I don't know how some people make it through the hardships of life without the presence of God. What do you mean by the presence of God? I don't mean just an awareness that God's in heaven. So I mean the presence of God. I mean the tangible, living, moving, touching, comforting, guiding, speaking, leading presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Hallelujah. That's what we believe as Pentecostal people. We are people of the presence. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Holy Spirit. He was saying you will need the Holy Spirit because, because in the beginning of that verse, he said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. I am sending you. You have a job to do. We are not saved to sit. We are saved to serve. Amen? Everybody, everybody say, you got a job to do. Tell the person next to you, you got a job to do. That's what Jesus was saying to the disciples. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Amen? I died on the cross. Jesus is saying, I died on the cross, not simply for you to enjoy forgiveness of sins, but so I can use you to bring my gospel message of forgiveness of sins to the world. Because there are a lot of people who need to know forgiveness of sins. Amen? Right? Some of those people that you work with, yes? Some of your neighbors, some of your family members, your friends. People that God has brought into your life. They need to know that there is a God who loves them, a Savior who died for them, who offers forgiveness of sins. Yes? Right? So what does this mean? What I send you. It means that you have a mission. What does that mission look like? Verse 23. He says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What does that mean? This is part of the mission. This is describing the mission that we have as followers of Christ. Now, he's not saying, he's not saying that the apostles are to be like priests who have the ability to hear confessions and forgive sins. Man cannot forgive sins committed against God. Amen? Can we just get that clear? Man cannot. We don't have that capacity to do that, right? Only God can forgive sins. Yes? Right? Mark 2.7 says, Who can forgive sins but God alone? Daniel 9.9, To the Lord God alone belongs mercy and forgiveness. We can't go around forgiving people's sins. That's what priests think that they can do today, but they can't. Hello? Right? And, and by the way, we, we never see, we don't see the apostles in the book of Acts hearing confessions and forgiving people's sins. But what they did do was proclaim the means by which forgiveness is obtained. Acts chapter 10, verse 42. And he committed, uh, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead, and to him, 
all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. This is what we see the apostles do. They didn't hear people's, they pointed people to Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? Run from any preacher or church that points you to man and not to Jesus. Amen? Anyone who tells you, you got to go to a man to confess your sins, run. Everybody say run. We don't confess. We confess our sins to Jesus alone. Amen? Yes? See it again in Acts 13, verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you, the man being Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So Peter is saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying your sins are forgiven if you believe. Paul is saying, your sins are forgiven if you believe. Take it a step further, the Great Commission in Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. To all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What does this mean? We have been authorized. We have been commissioned and authorized to say to the people of this world, your sins are forgiven based on what you do with Jesus Christ. Not on my authority, but on the authority stated in the word of God. Amen? That's what, that's what Jesus is basically saying. I'm commissioning you to bring this message of forgiveness of sins and giving you the authority to teach and to tell and to proclaim to the world that if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, your sins will be cleansed and forgiven. Amen? This is the central message of the gospel. Forgiveness of sins. Repentance from sinful works. Turning to God to receive forgiveness of sins. Hello? Let's make this very clear today. Because there are all kinds of people, preachers, and churches trying, trying to twist what the gospel is about. The gospel is not about social justice. The gospel is not about your best life now. The gospel is not about prosperity. It's not about healing. It's not about feeling good. It's not about fulfilling all of your dreams or how God will solve all your problems. The gospel is about forgiveness of sins based upon repentance from dead works. Simple. And when you see a preacher taking the cross and making the cross all about how God wants to make your life easier and happier and give you a new job and more money and better health, run from that preacher. That's my theme today, run. <laughs> right? Now, there may be peripheral benefits that the cross brings, right, that we celebrate and we talk about and we pray for, Okay? But we don't, we don't dangle that out in front of people like a carrot saying, if you come to Jesus, you're going to get a healer. If you come to Jesus, you're going to get a provider. He'll help you find a new job. No, no, no. That's called bait and switch. It's, that's not what the gospel is about. People need to come to Christ because they realize that they are sinners lost under the wrath of God and that they need to repent from those sins that have brought them under the wrath of God and they need a Savior who died on the cross and rose from the dead and offers them eternal life. That's the gateway. That's the doorway. That's how we come into salvation. We don't promise them, well, you've come to Jesus, you'll get this. And then once they come, we say, oh, and you also need a Savior. No, no, no. 
We're sinners who are lost under the wrath of God. Amen? So we carry to this generation the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. Amen? And there's one more truth that I want to give you from this. One last truth. Don't be like Thomas. (laughs) Verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Did you get that? Thomas wasn't there, so discouraged, so disappointed. Now, I know this is a little conjecture on my part. I mean, he might have been visiting, you know, his friends somewhere in another. But I, I, I tend to think that he was so discouraged, so disappointed, that he disconnected himself from the disciples. And because he disconnected himself and withdrew from that fellowship, he missed out on what Jesus had for him. Are you seeing that? He removed himself and missed out on the blessing God had. Thomas, don't be like Thomas, because Thomas disconnected from the disciples. There will be times when you will be disappointed and discouraged. Amen? There will be times when you'll be disappointed and discouraged by your church, by your pastors. Not me, other pastors. Like... (laughs) Pastor Chris, you know, he's going to disappoint you. Pastor Dylan, going to let you down. Pastor Linda, you know. (laughs) There's going to be times. Things are going to happen, but don't allow your disappointment to disconnect you from the body, from the church, from the disciples. Amen? Because understand, the enemy wants you alone. The enemy wants you alone in the chaos and the clamor and the confusion of your own thoughts. Because he knows that we are our own worst enemy. The the devil doesn't even have to do anything to us. He just has to get us alone with ourselves and just let us torment ourselves, right? And he wants to just get us alone. Just peel us away from the disciples because the devil knows that Jesus is going to show up when the disciples gather. He knows that. So if he could just peel us away from the disciples and when they gather, then he's got us exactly where he wants us, alone and isolated in the clamor, chaos, and confusion of of our own thoughts disconnected from that place, that dynamic, where you will hear the word of God, where you will will be called back into worship, where you will be pointed to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need to come to church to be reminded that it's not about me, that it's all about him, Amen? amen? I need to be pointed back to Jesus, amen? There's nothing like gathering together. And listen, for those of you who are on live stream, we love you. But there, and it's great that you're at home and you're watching this or wherever you are. But there's nothing like being in the house of the Lord. There's something that happens in the house that doesn't happen in your living room, sitting on your comfy coat, your comfy couch in your pajamas, eating Doritos at 9:53 in the morning. Watching a stream, you got to be here. Everybody say, You got to be here. You got to be in the house. Come on, get back to church. COVID is over, the pandemic is gone. You don't have that excuse anymore. Come back to church. <laughs> well, I can hear God at home. I can hear God, you know, virtual. I don't need church. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. The Bible says that Christ is the head of what? Of the church, which is his body. 
You can't, you can't be connected to the head if you're disconnected from the body. It's, it's simple, right? You can't be connected. You can't be in Christ, who's the head, if you're not in his body. Amen? So this idea that, well, I can just worship God wherever I am, and I don't need to be in. You need, you need to be in church. Understand this. Isn't it interesting how Jesus did not appear to Thomas alone? Jesus didn't say to the disciples, well, listen, it was great that I could show up here, but, you know, I got to go because Thomas, he's alone. He didn't come, so I got to make a special trip over to Thomas's house, and I got to take care of Thomas. He didn't do that. What did he do? He gathered where the body was gathered, right? So things are going to happen in the corporate dynamic that will not happen in isolation. Amen? Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails. This is Thomas talking. And put my finger into the print of the nails. And put my hand into his side. I will, I will not believe. Be careful when you say you will not do something to God. How many, have you ever experienced that? Because the moment you say, I will never do this or I will not do this, you get God's attention. And you will find yourself doing the very thing that you said you will not do. Not only did Thomas disconnect from the disciples, he allowed his disbelief to turn into his discouragement, his disappointment to turn into cynicism. Don't allow your disbelief, your disappointment, your discouragement to harden, to calcify your heart into cynicism, meaning that you develop a critical spirit, a resistance against anything that requires faith. Someone says, pray for healing. In your heart, you say, yeah, pray for healing. <laughs> a lot of good that'll do. I prayed for healing for my wife or my, my parent or my, my son. That didn't do anything. They only got worse. They, they passed away. <laughs> pray for healing. A critical, cynical spirit. Pay a tithe? Yeah, you people just want money. Cynical, critical spirit. Read the Bible? That's ah, just a book written by men. doesn't really have any, any authority. Go to church? Ah, I don't need that. I can check in online every once in a while. Unbelief has a way of taking over our disposition, taking over our spirit, taking over our thoughts and our minds, and turning us into cynics. Have you ever noticed that? Be careful of that. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again, again inside, and Thomas with them. This time Thomas was there. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Hey, Tom, come here. Give me your finger. Expose the wound on his side. I put it into my side. I'm grateful for this account, how Jesus dealt with Thomas, because you know, from time to time, we're all just like Thomas. Hello? You didn't drop out of that, did you? And listen, it's not wrong to have doubts. It's not wrong to question beliefs. And I love that Jesus, he wasn't mad at him. Jesus didn't rebuke him. Right? He met him, he met Thomas at the place of his doubts, and what did Jesus do? He ministered to him, right? He said, give me your finger, and he put it, put it in, his, in his side. It shows us it's, it's okay, it's natural. It's natural to have doubts. That's the default of our flesh. 
I mean, as soon as, we, as soon as a crisis hits our life, do we just naturally automatically say, oh, well, thank God, there's going to be a miracle. God's going to get a touch. Some of us do, but many of us don't. The natural tendency, the default is fear, worry, anxiety, right? This is going to, get, it's going to be a problem, right? And, and, and that's okay. God doesn't condemn us. Jesus doesn't come and, and rebuke us for that, right? But here's the thing. Even though you may be struggling and you may have doubts, You've got to keep yourself in a place where Christ can touch you and minister to you and show up and speak to you. Don't allow a cynical spirit to keep you isolated. You've got to put yourself in the place where the spirit is going to be moving and flowing and speaking and dealing with people's lives. And I guarantee you that when you do that, when you say, you know what, I'm having a hard time. I'm going through this, but you know what? I'm going to show up. I'm just going to go because I know I need to be there. I don't feel like, listen, when you don't feel like going, that's when you need to go. Amen? right? Listen, any of you people right now at home who said, I, didn't, I don't feel like getting up and going, that you should have been here today. This was the day for you. Anytime your flesh says, I'm too tired, I don't want to go, I got other, that's the day. That's the moment. <laughs> then you need to push through. Everybody say push. You got to push through and you got to put yourself in the place with the disciples where Christ is going to show up and he's going to touch you and speak to you and minister to you and love on you and reveal himself to you. Verse 27, he says to Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believe. He's telling Thomas, Thomas, you've got to get your thoughts under control. Jesus is showing him love. He's showing him compassion. But he's saying, Tom, you've got to get your thoughts under control. Your own thoughts are your worst enemy. Tom, you overthink. You overanalyze. Stop being unbelieving and start to change your perspective on things. Hello? Amen? Amen? Right? 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is, on, this is something that only you can do for yourself with the grace of God. But you've got to be the one who starts to initiate a change of thinking patterns in your head. Because listen, you can get people to pray for you and encourage you and counsel you. I can pray for you. The pastors can pray for you. Your friends can pray for you and counsel for you. But at some point, you've got to get control of your own thought life and learn to do warfare in your mind and say, I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. That thought is not from God. Because nobody can fight that fight for you. Your husband can't. Your wife can't. Nobody can fight that for you. And that's where the devil knows that he can get you. But at some point, you've got to saturate your mind in the Word of God. You've got to get into the prayer closet. You've got to get yourself into those places, into those spaces. You've got to be intentional and deliberate and put yourself in places where you know the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. The Word of God is going to challenge you. The glory of God is going to pull you forward. No one can fight that battle for you. And until you do that, you will always be a victim in your own mind. And Thomas said in verse 28, and, and an, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord. If, listen, if there is ever any question in your mind whether or not Jesus claimed to be God, let this show you that he did. Thomas worshiped Jesus as God. And Jesus received that worship. Jesus didn't say, no, 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 Thomas, no, no, don't do that. No, I'm just, a, I'm just a man just like anybody. No, no, no. Jesus received the worship. He received that title. 
Now, you might say, well, I'll get my thoughts under control when, you know, when he shows up, when he shows me his hands and reveals himself and answers his prayer, and when I can touch that wound in his side, when he proves to me that he's really alive and really with me and really cares. But look how Jesus answers and says to what he says to Thomas, verse 29. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Waiting for proof is not faith. That's walking by sight. Blessed are those who do not see but still believe. When it's just you and your Bible and the circumstances around you, can you still trust him? When nobody's calling you on the phone, when there's no demonstration of power, no answer to prayer, no miracle, nothing external going on. It's just you, the Bible, and the circumstances around you. Can you keep your eyes on him? Can you keep praising him and trusting him and worshiping him? Let me repeat this, what I started out with by saying, faith is not getting God to give you what you want. Faith is remaining faithful and steadfast when you don't get what you want. Faith is what happens when the bills are not paid, when the body is not healed, when bad things are happening in your life, when you lose your job and you're running out of money, can you still trust him? Can you still obey him? Can your faith endure? Or do you have a false perception of who Jesus should be? And the point is this. The blessing comes when we believe without seeing. Blessed are those who believe. And this is where I want us to conclude. We can stand. Worship team can join me up here. The blessing comes when we believe without seeing, when our faith can endure even though Jesus hasn't showed up. So if you're in that upper room right now and the door's locked, fear has you shut in and cut off. Maybe you're like Thomas. You've just isolated and disconnected. You've checked out. You can't see Jesus. It's in those moments when you need to worship him. Why do we, you might say, why do you guys worship so much? Because, because something happens when we worship. The blessing comes. He inhabits the praises of his people. Hallelujah. You see, we were created to worship God. That's, that's our ultimate purpose, to worship God. Hallelujah. Ultimately, when we go to heaven, that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship God. So you people who don't like the worship part of the service, you need to adjust your perspective because you're going to be doing it for a long time, right? So you, 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 better, you should be getting good at it, all right? This is just practice right here, right? We were wired for that. So when we worship him, especially in faith without seeing him, God responds. He's a God of response. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you seek me diligently, you will find me. I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. If you search me and seek after me with all of your heart, you shall find me. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. It's a God of response. Something happens when we worship, right? So listen, when you're confused, when you're afraid, when, when you, you don't feel God in your life, you don't see him, that's when you need to worship him and say, Lord, even though I don't see you, God, I know you're there. Lord, even though I can't feel you, Lord, I know you're there. Even though, Lord, nothing's changed, God, I know that you're there. You're with me, Lord. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. And I'm going to worship you, Lord. 
not because of what you can do for me, but simply because you're worthy to be followed. Because you are God. You are Lord. 